Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come to worship you and to learn about your word and to learn from your word. Lord, it is so important that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and we pray that you will help us to truly learn and and to grow from the message that you're about to help me give, Lord. And I just pray that you'll work in all of our hearts, that we will listen and learn to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was 17 years old in Bible school, I came across a passage. Um, It's Ecclesiastes 9, 13 to 18. And it really intrigued me. It's a rather strange story when you first look at it. One that is actually sort of like a puzzle that needs to be unwrapped. And I remember the following morning when I read it, I shared it with some other students at the Bible school. And one of them said to me, do you know what verse 17 means? And verse 17 says this, The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. And at that time, you know, being 17, I didn't know a whole lot and I didn't know much. And I said no. And he said, well, that is actually speaking about how the wisdom is sometimes expressed not by what a person says, but by what he doesn't say. And it was something that I've learned over the years watching and learning and sometimes learning how not to say. (laughs) That's easy, right? (laughs) Um, But I've learned that that is true. But there was a lot more to this story than just this one verse. and, And it's puzzled me over the years. So I decided to really take a good look at it and sort of unwrap it, and that's what I'm hoping to do today, is that we'll unwrap this passage. And I call this message, Consider the Wise Man, because this is really what Solomon is doing when he wrote this story. He was considering the wise man. Let me read the passage to you. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came to it and surrounded it and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered the poor man, the poor wise man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise are heard in quietness, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And as I started unwrapping it this week, I found 
there's a whole lot in here. A lot more than maybe even one unwrapping will do. The first thing I saw when I looked at this passage again was Solomon was impressed when he considered this wise man. Verse 13, it says, Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. What's interesting about this also is how Solomon draws our attention to this wise man. He doesn't shout at us and say, this is important, pay attention. No. Instead, he said, it impressed me. Now let me say something. If Solomon said to you, the wisdom of this wise man impressed me, I know I would consider that to be something. Solomon was known as the wisest man in the world. So if he was impressed, I think we all should pay attention. So here it is, there was this small city, and this great king came against it. And he built a large siege works against it. These people are in this city and they are in a great predicament. They were in deep trouble. They were in great fear and this fear forced them to go searching out for an answer to their problem. In Proverbs 1.7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's rather interesting that he ties these two things together. And you know, this story, we'll see that this is also the case. That he ties foolishness to wisdom, contrasting them. You see, these people in this small city, they were not looking for an answer until they were in deep trouble. Before we got saved, we weren't looking for an answer until we discovered we were in deep trouble. In verse 15 it says, But there was found in it a poor wise man. This one brief sentence actually says a whole lot. It says how the wise man did not use his wisdom. He didn't use it to make money. Solomon said he was poor. It seems that this wise man had more important things to do than making money. He also did not use his wisdom to get famous. They had to go out and look for him. And when they were in trouble, they did spend the time and they found him. What did the wise man do with his wisdom? We don't know for sure what he did up until this point, but we know for one thing, he used it to deliver the city. He used it to help others. I would assume 
that, that was probably the habit of his whole life, that he was using his wisdom, helping other people. <coughs> Could be he was a teacher. We don't know who he was or what he was. All we know is he was poor and he had wisdom. And for some reason, nobody listened to him. After he delivered the city, they had a parade and showered him with gifts, right? You'd think so. Here I am, I would have been dead if this guy didn't come and save me, save my city. But no. In verse 15, Solomon continues and says, Yet no one remembered the poor man. After all this, and they proceeded to immediately forget him. I think that's rather interesting that that was the case. That their lives were such that they just went on, continued. After all was done, he was still poor and he was still forgotten. So what were the lessons Solomon learned from this story? You know, he said, I was impressed with this story. He gives some lessons that he learned. The first thing we, he learned was that godly wisdom is better than strength. In verse 16, Solomon said, So I said, wisdom is better than strength. There are many times when strength is not the solution to the problem. I read an interesting story about how simple it can be for the wise man to outwit the strong man. I found this story on Bible.org. It's rather interesting. A strong young man at a construction site was bragging he could outdo anyone in a feat of strength. He made a special case of making fun of the older workman. After several minutes, the older worker had had enough. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is, he said. I'll bet a week's wages that I can haul something in a wheelbarrow over to that building that you won't be able to wheel back. You're on, old man, said the young worker. The old man reached out, grabbed the wheelbarrow by the handles. Then he turned to the young man and said, all right, get in. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I did when I first read it. It didn't take long for this young man to realize his rash words lost him a week's wages. <coughs> the second thing Solomon learned from the story was people don't always listen to godly wisdom. In verse 16, he continued... But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. I'm sure Solomon marveled at this response. He valued wisdom. He sought out wisdom wherever he could find it. Remember, Solomon was the one the Lord came to and said, I will give you anything you want. Ask, and I'll give it to you. And in Chronicles 1, 7-12, it says, in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask what I will give you. Solomon said, You have dealt 
with my father with great loving kindness and have made me a king in this place. Now, Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and, and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, and did not ask for riches and wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you. It's interesting that he includes that in there. Nor have you even asked for a long life. But you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over which I have made you king. See, Solomon had the right values when he asked. And God certainly answered. He answered in spades. It says this, in verse, starting again in verse 12, Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. Solomon was the richest, the wisest, the most well-known king of Israel. Why? Not because he asked for it. Because he asked for wisdom. God rewarded him with wisdom and God always gives pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. In Proverbs, Solomon repeatedly encourages us to seek out wisdom. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, he tells us, Wisdom will be the best possible adornment. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. The third thing Solomon learned from this story is that folly can undo godly wisdom. In verse 18 he said, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. He considered this lesson to be so important that he followed up with word pictures to illustrate this point. The first picture he uses has become so well known, we'll all recognize it instantly. But some people might not recognize the fact that it came from the Bible. How many of you have heard the expression, or even said, there's a fly in the ointment? Ecclesiastes 10.1 says this, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Perfume is valuable because the ingredients are hard to come by. A really good perfume requires skill in putting these ingredients together. Perfume speaks of reputation. It makes the one who wears it smell good. Here, Solomon is saying, a man can diligently seek wisdom. 
and it will speak well for him. But one small act of foolishness can destroy his reputation. Tragically, there was a fly in Solomon's ointment. He let his wives turn his heart from the Lord. In 1 Kings 11, 9-11, we read what God says to Solomon. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. So God told him twice already. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. God finally had enough, and he told Solomon, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Because Solomon let his heart be turned away, the entire nation of Israel suffered. The second picture Solomon uses depicts the contrarian or the skeptic. Ecclesiastes 10.2 says this, A wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. You know, when you first read that, or when I first read that, I'm thinking, okay. But as I thought about it more closely, we see that here is a man that every turn in his life, he chooses the opposite of what he should. This is like the person who spends his entire life an opposite day. (laughs) Instead of hello, it's goodbye. Instead of white, it's black. Instead of right, it's always wrong. Such is the man who spends a great deal of effort trying to get out of having to work. We all know that giving an honest day's labor for an honest day's wages makes it easier and improves our situation. This verse reminded me of a message I recently heard from Ravi Zacharias on skepticism. He actually quoted G.K. Chesterton. I'm going to read the quote here. It says a lot, really. The new rebel is a skeptic and will not entirely trust anything. The fact that he doubts everything really gets in his way when he wants to denounce anything. For all denunciation applies a moral doctrine of some kind. The modern revolutionist revolutionist doubts not only the institution he denounces, but the doctrine by which he denounces it. As a politician, he will cry out, war is a waste of life. As a philosopher, that all life is a waste of time. He goes to a political meeting where he complains that savages are treated as if they're beasts. 
Then he takes his hat and umbrella and goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that they practically are beasts. In undermining his own minds, in his book on politics, he attacks men for trampling on morality. In his book on ethics, he attacks morality for trampling on men. Therefore, the modern man in revolt has become practically useless for all purposes of revolt by rebelling against everything. He has lost his right to rebel against anything. And this is exactly the kind of person Solomon is describing here. He's rebelling against everything. And it's saying because he does that, he has no right to rebel. Who's going to believe him? Solomon then says that the fool is completely unaware of his own foolishness. Yet it is so obvious to everyone else. Ecclesiastes 10.3 says, Even when a fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. I remember when my kids were little, and one of them would lie to me. In frustration, I would say, Do I have fool written on my forehead? Here, Solomon is saying exactly this. The foolish man keeps walking along, completely ignoring all warnings that the path he is taking is destructive. He makes excuses for when things go wrong. He says, it's not my fault. And all the while, the destructiveness of his lifestyle is as obvious as the nose on his face. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A person can lie to himself and say, this is the right way to go. After all, everyone else is doing it. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and broad is the path, that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. See, the narrow path, the one that not everybody is following, the one that's hard to find, is the one that we should take. Because that's the one that doesn't lead to destruction. Those of us who know Christ at one time in our lives walked that broad path. Those who do not know Christ are still walking that path. Question I want to ask, who is the wise man we should consider? Starting in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He completes it in the end of chapter 7, and in seven twenty-four to 29, he finishes the message with these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed <laughs> against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The word there actually could be understood as thunderstruck. It struck them senseless. That's how amazed they were. This word is actually used 13 times in the New Testament. And 10 of them refer specifically to him teaching. Two of them refer to miracle he committed, miracles he did. And the 13th one is actually in the book of Acts talking about the proconsul being amazed at his teachings. So even secondhand, his teachings were amazing. For he was teaching them, why? As one having authority and not as the scribes. When Jesus spoke, he did so with wisdom and authority. His wisdom was so great, the crowds were amazed. Jesus, by his wisdom, didn't come to deliver a city from a king. Instead, he came to deliver all who come to him from sin and death. So what is this wise man's gentle entreaty? Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 say this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Notice he's a teacher. He wants us to learn from him. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I thank God he put someone in my path who woke me from my foolish slumber. When I realized my dangers, I was forced to consider the wise man who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. As we consider his call on our lives, we should also remember he wants us to be in the business of repeating that call to those who still don't know him so they can find rest for their souls. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your call on our lives. We thank you that you have given to us the opportunity to learn from your wisdom to learn that your wisdom leads away from destruction and to a new hope, a new life, an everlasting life, a life of peace. We pray that you will help us to rest in that peace and not just rest the rest of slumber, but the rest of seeking to help others find that rest too. That we will tell others about how great it is 
to have entered into your kingdom, to have considered your wisdom, to have embraced your wisdom, and to start learning and walking in it. In Jesus' name, amen.